1: Treating each other the way God designed it. That is the subject of our time today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us and be encouraged in Christ. God has set up his church it is the bride of christ but within the bride there are different offices different stations so how do we treat each other and do we treat everybody the same or are there distinctions well here in 1 timothy chapter 5 verses 17 through 25 pastor gary wagner from reformed heritage church in san jose takes a look at how we are to deal with one another inside the body of christ our message Don't Treat Everyone in the Church the Same, Part 1. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
2: Now, She who is a real widow and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. This, obviously, is a godly woman. She never expected to be in the situation that she is in. She does not just throw up her hands in despair. Or oh, her husband is gone. She has no children or grandchildren. But she is absolutely confident that God will be faithful to everything that he has promised her. He will not let one of his promises fall to the ground unfulfilled. So even though she may not know how in the world this or that will be solved in her life, that, she doesn't, that doesn't throw her for a loop. That doesn't drive her into desperation because she has fixed her hope on God. Is God going to let you down? After all, you don't have a husband. You don't have children or grandchildren. You have no means of support. The future certainly doesn't look good. But you won't be a slave to the state. You will trust God to provide And no matter how dark it appears, you will trust in him who is the light and in whom there is no darkness at all. And because your hope is in God, verse 5, you will continue in entreaties and in prayers night and day. You're not going to just say, well, I'm trusting God, and then go on your merry way. You're going to say, God, I trust in you. And to show you I trust in you. I'm going to pray night and day. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my food for tomorrow. God, I'm lonely. God, how am I going to do this or that? And at night you pray that. And during the day you pray it. All the time, off and on, throughout the day you are constantly calling upon your God who said, He is a judge for widows. To be what he promised to them he would be. Verse 6. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Now who is he talking about? I think he's talking about widows who may have been left some great wealth. They didn't have term or whole life insurance, of course, in those days. But they did have silver and gold and property and farms and even slaves. So a woman who became a widow could find herself to be quite wealthy. So Paul is saying, if you are one of those women, it's okay to be a wealthy widow as long as you are not just going along as a merry widow. As long as you don't spend your life on affluence and ease. And there's no spirituality in you. And you're not trusting in God. You're just trusting in your riches. And your only concern is the parties and having an active social life. He says that person who may profess to be a member of the church, but she gives herself to wanton riches, she is dead even while she lives. She may look alive with all of her fancy clothes and all of her jewelry and all of her silver and crystal and such things, but it says she's dead because her God is the ease and affluence of this world. Verse 2, or verse 7, Timothy, it's going to be hard to do this sometimes But I want you to prescribe these things so that they may be above reproach. So, Timothy, don't hesitate to preach them. You want the widows in the church to know exactly what their responsibilities are. And you want the people in the church to know what their responsibilities are towards the widows. So preach these things, Timothy. It doesn't matter what the culture says. Verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, who is for his own? If anyone does not provide for his own. Is this just talking about the physical blood family? No, because you see, the next frame says, and especially for those of your own household. So Paul is saying, tell these people to provide for their own relatives, family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that may be deprived of something. Your responsibility as a Christian, as Christians, is not limited to the boundaries of your physical family. Insofar as it is possible, provide for anyone in your church and sphere of your relationships that are destitute of something, and especially provide for those in your own family. And someone who holds his money and his wealth close to the chest, and does not live in an open-handed way towards other people, especially toward his own family, it says here he is apostate. He has denied the faith, and he is worse than even a Muslim. He's worse than an infidel. He is worse than an unbeliever. Now, how can Paul say that? Because, you see, even unbelievers care for their relatives. Even unbelievers sometimes take care of their parents. In fact, a lot of times, even better than Christians. So Paul is commanding Timothy to tell this to his congregation... This is your responsibility. Don't neglect it. So that is the command that God gives every one of us. And husbands and fathers should see in that command, since you and I most likely will die before our wives, that we are to do our best to be sure our wives are provided for when we die. As much as we possibly can. Life insurance policies. IRAs. Gold and silver coins. Savings. Do what you can men. Some men can of course do better than others. But do what you can to provide for your own household. After you have died. And if you and I don't. It says we have denied the faith. And are worse than an unbeliever. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, this next section is sort of a difficult section, especially to know what this list is. But, as you know, as always, I'm going to give it a shot. Verse 9. Let a widow be put on the list... Only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to, hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, which that was a very humble service, I'm sure you know that. They wore sandals in those days in a dry, hot, dusty terrain, and washing someone's feet wasn't just a fun religious practice, because their feet would, of course, be very hot and dusty, filthy, as a matter of fact, and quite stinky. If she has assisted those in distress, and she has devoted herself to every good work, it says. In other words, don't put any real widow on the church list. Any of those widows the church needs to provide something for, If they have not been faithful Christians, if they haven't tried to minister to other people in their lives and to serve them, don't put them on the list of those widows who are deprived of husbands and are in some kind of serious need. Don't put them on the list if they haven't been loving, serving Christians themselves. Remember that now, ladies, before your husbands die or abandon you. And don't put them on the list if they are less than 60. Now, Paul is being very practical here. You see, 60 was old in the Roman Empire. Uh, But, of course, he's not saying if there are 59 and a half, don't give them any help. But you see, 60 means here someone who's old and exhausted without any means of support, someone who is very unlikely to remarry, someone who has no children, someone who does not have the strength she used to have to carry on her job. I mean, she has, to, she has got to be a real widow to be put on the church list. Verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. That is widows that have been deprived of husbands and children and income who are under, under 60 years of age. In other words, they're still strong and they still have needs and they still have desires and they probably have a vision for the future. Don't put them on the list that the church is going to support. That is the church, you see, is not the main welfare agency. The state is not a welfare agency at all. The family is the main welfare agency. The church only steps in the picture to help someone in the church if they are destitute and they have no one in their family to help them. And if a widow was young and vigorous and strong, don't put her on the list. She can take care of her own life. Oh, it may be hard. But verse 11 but refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Now, what does that mean? It's difficult to know with certainty what Paul is talking about, except we can be certain he is not talking about nuns. And he's not talking about taking a perpetual vow of chastity as if marriage was some kind of second-rate way of life. Because he tells women later on to get married. If you are lonely for a husband and you want a husband, find a husband. Nothing wrong with a widow remarrying. But Paul is saying to them, apparently, now as widows, they have volunteered to help the church. They've made a pledge. In some way or another. To minister to other people. To visit the age. To teach the younger women. Provide food for those in need. Doing whatever she is able to do. But then. She gets all these wonderful. God created desires. For a man. And she's distracted from what. She promised the church. She would do as her own personal ministry in the church. So it is better for younger widows to do their best to get married, Paul's saying here. Now, how does a younger widow do that? She prays, and she casts herself upon the mercy of God, and she goes to Christian conferences and such places where there are godly young men her age and meets people. And she opens up herself to be met by other people. So if you have a desire, and you are a younger woman, and you want to be married, so you don't have to sleep alone for the rest of your life, because you want someone to be there to love you and take care of you, and live life with you, then don't put yourself on the church's list. Do whatever you have to do. Work. Pray. And go to various places where there are godly men. Don't just go to the places where there are men. That's as dangerous as playing with a cocked gun. Go to the places where where there are godly men. And if possible, go to the places where there are godly, reformed, Presbyterian men. And let them get to know you. Don't just lock yourself up in a closet. Verse 11. Refuse to put younger widows on the less for when they feel sensual desires, which of course are all given by God in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, that is, in disregard to their promise that they were going to spend all their spare time as a widow serving the church, verse twelve, they will be condemned, not to hell, but they will be condemned because they set aside the previous pledge and promise of what they could do in helping other people in the church. Now, let's stop here. I'm going to make a couple of applications. Singlehood is a calling. Any time in life when you are single, for whatever amount of time, it is a calling. If you are a young person that is not married and you want to be married sooner than God does, He has kept you single for a purpose. If you are single because your husband died or he left you, God knew what He was doing. He did all of that because He wants you to be single for at least a period of time. Why does God cause us to be single when we really want to be married? Well, one, because there are things about our lives that God wants to get out of us so that we can be good husbands or wives in the future. Secondly, because there are things we can do single we cannot ever do married. So God says, I want you to be single for a while and possibly even for the rest of your life. You just commit yourself to the Lord. God says, I want you to be single for a greater or shorter period of time. And I want you to understand it is a calling. So don't think God has forgotten about you. Don't feel like God has left you on a shelf. God has deliberately and sovereignly and graciously called you to be single even if it is just for a while. Now, you pray day and night. God, show me my call, what my calling is. Show me what you want me to do and be as a single person. I say this particularly to women because that's the context in what we're talking about here, but this all also goes for you men. Now, let me finish this paragraph, verse 13. At the same time, they also, that is, the young women who want to get married and are just wasting their time because they don't know what to do, says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle. As they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things that are not even proper to mention. You see, they begin to get lonely. They start watching, you know, Hallmark movies. They start meeting with women in the same condition. And they begin to commiserate and talk about all of their various desires. And you see, that just fans their desires all the more. So Paul says, if you're a younger woman under 60 and you're not destitute, you don't need the church's aid, use your life for something important for God's kingdom. And if you are desirous of a husband, do whatever you can in your power to find a godly one. Verse 14, Therefore I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep houses, and to give the enemy no occasion for reproach. And who is the enemy? It says in verse 15, he is Satan. So young widows have already turned aside... Satan here, because they weren't willing to trust God, and they just gave themselves up to desperation and hopelessness. Verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and let not the church be burdened, so that it might assist those who are real widows. In other words, don't ask the church for money unless it is absolutely necessary You don't have a family. You no longer have the strength and the youth and the vigor to work. And if you are destitute, you don't have a husband or children or grandchildren. Uh, Then ask the church for help. It won't be a burden to them then. One more thing. I know I said I was quitting. Sorry. But I really am now. Verse 14. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house. Other translations say, keepers at home. You see, that is a misinterpreted translation. Some people have started a whole movement of the misinterpreted keeper at home to mean that women are not to ever have jobs outside of being a wife and a mother. And they should never work outside of the house. Well, it doesn't say Keepers at home in the first place. It says, keeper of the home. In other words, keep house. Now, if a woman is married and has young children, I think it is a good thing for her to stay at home, if possible. Say, if God never ever wanted a woman to work outside her home, then the Proverbs 31 woman is not a woman for you to imitate. Because the Proverbs 31 woman was into real estate and making and selling clothing. Now, if God providentially provides so that a woman can stay at home, and yeah, maybe sometimes you've got to make sacrifices to do that and take care of the children and her husband. Oh my gosh, praise God. But let me tell you what the words keeper at home means in the Greek. And I don't think any of those ultra-patriarchy people who think a woman should never work outside the home were ever told what the Greek is for keeper of the house. The Greek has a word in it, which is the word from which we get the word despot. It is despotus. So what it says is, let the woman be the house despot or manager so you don't have to ask your husband about everything that you do in that house now it's good to get his opinion whenever it is possible but you see ladies you are the manager you are the house despots the house manager you need to learn how to be a godly responsible woman who manages your house not like you were a single person you do have a husband that you need to discuss things with you get your husband's advice and counsel but you don't ask him every day honey what do you want for dinner unless of course you plan on making onion soup and then you better check with him first okay but you are called to be an effective godly manager in your home, under the headship of your husband. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these very, very practical words. May we all be obedient to them. May we all always put our trust in you. And may none of us ever turn aside to follow Satan for any reason. For Christ's sake. Amen.
1: Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by again calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.